Good morning, ECC. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 42 and 43. We'll go both together this morning. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon was one of the most popular preachers ever to stand in the pulpit. He was a 19th century Baptist preacher in England. Thousands of people will come to hear him preach. He wrote many books, hymns, songs. His sermons were faithfully uh, preserved by stenographers. While he was preaching, they would just copy it down in shorthand. He was prolific in his writing and his preaching. He started training centers for pastors. He's just one of the most influential pastors ever, especially in the Baptist tradition. He was a very successful man and a godly preacher who was much respected even to this day. We use many of his books actually in the GPA program. But he was a man who also struggled with severe depression. His depression was crippling at times. He also suffered from physical ailments as well. He had burning kidney inflammation called Bright's disease. He had gout. He had rheumatism. He had neuritis. And he had this traumatic experience when he was a young preacher where he was preaching in front of, I think, over a thousand people. Some pranksters yelled fire and everybody ran for the exit and seven people died in the stampede while many others were wounded. This was devastating tragedy for Spurgeon. And Spurgeon faced withering criticism from his enemies as well, pointing to this instance and to his health, saying this is evidence of God's judgment on him. All of this certainly contributed to depression for Spurgeon. And so he'd spent significant seasons unable to even preach. I think a third of the time he just couldn't even go into the pulpit. And I'm sure in the midst of those trials, in the midst of that suffering, he could commiserate, he could find solace in Psalm 42 and 43. I'm sure that he was tempted to feel like Where is God? I feel abandoned. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God is far off? The enemies are close. The critics are strong as they mock you. And there's nowhere to turn. Well, this morning as we look at Psalm 42 and 43, we will see the psalmist in just such a situation. This psalm helps us ask and answer this question, what do we do when God seems absent and we feel abandoned? So it's my prayer this morning that you would see in this psalm God's merciful instruction for us, you and I, when we feel like he he is distant or has even abandoned us. The Lord will never abandon you. Even in our deepest moments of desperation, disillusionment, or depression, we have a God who is with us, near to us, tender to care for you and I. So let's look at Psalm 42 and 43 together. And by the way, I believe that Psalm 42 and 43 should be read together as one unit. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, you have this refrain, why are you cast down, O my soul? Happens three different times in both Psalms. There's no title to Psalm 43 indicating that it should be read together as one unit. 
And that's what we're going to do this morning. So Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the throng, lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people for the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do, you, why do I go about mourning because of the, of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father in heaven, I pray that today you would hear us, You know the weight that lands on all of us, Lord. That many of us carry a burden, a pain, a suffering, close to tears, sitting in darkness. And we cry out to you. Help us, Lord, to look to you, to remember you, to complain to you, and to take refuge in you alone and nowhere else. Teach us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43 is desperate for God. And I say the psalmist because we don't really know who the author of the psalm is. It doesn't say that is a psalm of David. It could be David, but it's not explicitly written. We don't know, but we do know that he is desperate. Verse 1 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Imagine a deer in a semi-arid place like ancient Israel, where the heat of the season and the scorching sun causes dehydration very quickly. The deer smells the sweetness of the water flowing in the stream and makes a beeline for that water. That is the psalmist. His very soul, twice he says, thirsts for God. I mean, you know what it's like to be thirsty, right? Really thirsty. You live in this country, the heat, you will soon feel you need water. You can, feel, you can live without food for a while, but you will quickly perish without water. And that desire to quench this thirst becomes an all-consuming obsession when you're really thirsty, right? It becomes a matter of survival very quickly. And like the deer who is thirsty, the only thing that's going to satisfy is water. When you're thirsty, you don't drink coffee. You're not asking for a glass of milk or karak chai. You need cool water. And so too, the psalmist has identified his one all-consuming need. He needs the living God. Nothing else will do. But here's the thing. The psalmist hasn't been able to see God, be with him. He's not, able, he's not been able to go to God's house. He's been prevented for some reason. It says in verse 2b, when shall I come and appear before God? In fact, instead of having the satisfying cool water of the stream, he has instead drunk the briny tears of his own weeping. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, while, all, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? He is weeping. Instead of sleep, he is sobbing uncontrollably. The tears come so strong they just flow into his mouth. And on top of that, there are they, the critics, his enemies, saying to him, where is your God? This has been a theme throughout the Psalms. The enemies of David or the psalmist, of God's people, they mock God, they mock him, questioning the very existence of this God. And here's the thing, the enemies... They say this to the psalmist because they see him and they see he is in a dire situation. Something must have happened to the psalmist where they're like, where's your God? Where is he now? You say you believe in him, but look at you. Look how low you have become. And so what is his response to this mocking? What is it that he can do when his enemies surround him? And he's in tears day and night. He can remember God. Verse 4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. He remembers his going together with the multitude, the assembly of worshipers, to God's house, to his temple, where the worship of God was to take place. And he remembers how he did praise. He was praising God at one point. It was coming out of him, and he was pouring out his own heart in worship to God. And he recalls how this whole assembly would keep the appointed feasts 
In short, he is remembering the faithful keeping of God's instruction for worshiping God and the joy that came from it. Man, the surety of just the Lord is our Lord. Look at all these people around me and we are worshiping together our God. This is what faithful obedience, praise, worship of God looked like in the Old Testament, keeping the festivals, going to the temple, worshiping Yahweh. And all this language in Psalm 42 and 43, describing God's temple, His house, His holy hill, the psalmist again is longing for His very presence. He was with God, praising Him with God's people. So what do we do when we feel like God has abandoned us? We remember God. We remember who He is, how he revealed himself to us, how he has made himself known to us through his word. We remember his character, that he will truly never leave us. He is the one who has given us instruction, his word, which is sure. It is God alone that we pan for, we thirst after. Only he can satisfy us. We remember that. Brothers and sisters, remember how the Lord has blessed you in the past, in your history. Many of you have shared how the Lord has met you on these Sundays through the preaching of the Word. Some of you have come up and said, Richard, I needed that sermon. It was for me. That Word, what I'm going through, the Lord gave that to me. Remember those times. Remember the joy of your salvation when you came to faith and how fresh was your joy in knowing Jesus. Recall that. Remember that. Remember your baptism, your declaration of having died and come to faith, rising to new life in Jesus. Remember those moments where you saw the Lord answer your prayers, prayers for provision, protection. And remember the past times where he has sustained you through seasons of darkness. We've been there. I've been here not yet two years And I've walked with some seasons of darkness with some of you. You've been there. Remembering the God and His wonder-working power is a great comfort to us in times of depression, in times of sorrow, when we are cast down. And be careful how the world is telling you to deal with your depression. There are whole industries that exist to help people Numb the pain that they feel deep down inside. And we live in an age where you can get any one of those distractions through your phone, basically. You want to be distracted by food? Talibat. You want to drink your sorrows away? There's plenty of alcohol in Abu Dhabi, and you can also order it through an app. You want entertainment? There's hundreds of apps for that. Gambling, pornography, mind-numbing shows, thousands of hours of vacuous pop music, Again, you can get it all at the touch of a button. And Satan is happy for you to have all of it as long as you forget the God who loves you and will never forsake you. And yet on the other side of this, there is a strain around Christian circles that they tell you Christians must always be happy. You take whatever sadness, depression, sorrow you have, and you push it down before you come in through these doors. Because we want happy people up in this place. 
please. Have you ever read the Psalms? Talk about sorrow. Talk about pain and suffering, depression. All appropriate. It wasn't just Spurgeon who had depression. Talk about C.S. Lewis, Martin Lloyd-Jones, numerous people throughout Christian history. You could just throw out the, the huge number of all these theologians. And they've gone through significant trials and through significant darkness at times. So what a prison it is to be told that you must always be happy. That is a miserable, works-based, prosperity gospel, false righteousness. So don't listen to the world. Now the world says, hey, this will numb your pain. Because it won't. We need to be honest with ourselves. Some of you have come in today with burdens that are too heavy to be lifted up with mere sentimentality. Don't run from it. In fact, cut away the distractions of the world and remember God in the midst of your depression. In other words, go to your bed and let the tears flow. And in the midst of those tears, remember that it is God alone who can bring you up again. The psalmist turns now inward in verse 5. And he addresses his own soul with this question, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why do you think he asks that question? What is he doing here? We see this refrain three different times in Psalm 42, 43. This, why are you cast down? Why are you cast down? This is not the psalmist on his bed weeping more, saying, oh man, this is terrible. He's not giving in to despair. He's asking his own soul a rhetorical question. Why are you cast down? And of course, a rhetorical question means that you assume you can provide the answer, right? What is he saying? He's saying, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be cast down, soul. This ongoing turmoil, turmoil should not continue in you. So what does he instruct his soul to do? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation. This is remembering. God will not let his people remain in sorrow. Our end is not to waste away as those without hope. God has told us that he is the saving, almighty, powerful, omnipotent God. The one in which we can place all our hope. So even if the sorrows may last through the night, we know that joy will come in the morning. It might feel weird to think about the psalmist talking to his own soul. And it really shouldn't. Maybe you've, had, you've heard the kind of psychological stuff out there, the, hey, don't talk to yourself, it's kind of weird. Not in this Bible, right? He's saying, tell yourself propositional truth that will overcome whatever feelings you have in time. Do you have this inner voice that is telling you it's probably not going to work out? God has saved other people, but he's not going to save you. You have some sin in your life, so God's seen that, and that's why you're going through this intense suffering and pain. God loves those people more than he loves you. 
Friends, you need to combat that negative self-talk that is not true and seize upon that which is true and speak it to your own soul. It's perfectly right to say to your soul, hope in God. He is your salvation. That's not something you make up when you become a Christian that is spoken to you through God's word. He is the living God who is your hope. The psalmist is continuing his lament. We've seen where he's lamenting to God about those who are mocking him, about God's distance. And now, in this section, he's going to complain to God. Remember what we said in the Psalms, as we've talked about complaint. This is not a whining. This is not a sinful uh, complaint that we normally you know, think of. This is taking to God and saying to him, this is not right. And I need you, Lord, to fix it. That's what we mean by complaint. We are taking to God our pain and our sorrow, and we're seeking from him resolution. And so in verse 6, the psalmist says, My soul is cast down within me. There I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He's acknowledging again, his soul is cast down in despair, literally melting away. And then he remembers this Jordan and Hermon, which are the very headwaters of the Jordan River. And so it's there that he's hearing these waterfalls going all around him. And in verse 7 he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist is not out of the woods yet. He's recalling being in the land where the waters are flowing. And he is still struggling. And for the ancient Hebrew people, water is this element representing total chaos. And two, this deep water was untouchable. It's unapproachable. You sink down in deep water and you disappear. Okay, that's what's in the mind of the ancient Hebrews. And combine this with the crashing waves, you get this picture of raw power overtaking him, washing over him completely. And that's one of the worst things is being hit by a wave, right? It's really fun to think about surfing about body surfing. I remember going to Australia with my brother way back when, and he, we went to this beautiful beach, and a friend of ours was showing us how you can catch waves with your body. And I'm like, man, this is so fun. And it was amazing until it wasn't. Until that one wave throws you down and you get pummeled into the bottom of the sea. It does feel amazing to ride just on top of the wave, but how terrifying it is to be caught in a wave, to feel all that power, you're helpless. There's nothing. There's no moving that amount of water. This is what the psalmist is feeling. When, when are the waves going to stop, God? Notice he says, it's your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves are going over me. God, you're the one who's in control. You're the one who is allowing this to happen. Nothing happens without your say-so. And this is good theology. Don't believe the person who says, bad things just happen sometimes. No. Please don't rob God of his sovereign power and might. The psalmist hopes in a God who not only knows he's being hit by the waves, but is also the only one that can stop them. So in verse 9, he asks this question, why have you forgotten me? 
Why have you forgotten me? Isn't that like the crux of feeling abandoned? I am forgotten. You have forgotten me, God. And you might be wondering, why does he ask this question? This is bad theology all of a sudden. Don't you know that God hasn't forgotten you? Well, friends, I think he asks this question not because he actually believes that the Lord has forgotten him and abandoned him. He asks this question because that's what it feels like. He's getting raw and real before God. We should do the same. We should be honest and open before the Lord. And I think some of you feel like if I'm talking to Pastor Aubrey or Pastor Will or any of the elders or any of the members in here and I say the wrong thing, man, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I'm a bad theologian and I'm not really a Christian. Man, when you're going through these kinds of things, you have to just say what is going on. <laughs> Work out the theology as we go to God's Word. And as people sit with you and hold your hand, you'll realize, like, okay, that was, just, that was just the words of the wind. That was just stuff in my own heart. He knows that God has not abandoned him. Because he says in verse 8, the verse before, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. The psalmist knows that the steadfast love of God is with him day and night. He declares this truth. He believes this truth. And yet, God still feels far away. Have you been there? Sometimes the right promises and truth of Scripture don't automatically translate into instantly aligned emotional status. God's Word is not a magical spell that when you read it, it somehow changes your emotions and your feelings immediately, dispelling all your fears and doubts. I mean, it can do that. And we should read it hoping that it will do that. But God seems fit to have it not work that way, namely immediately. That doesn't mean it's any less true. It means that the way forward in the midst of a downcast soul, it has more steps. It takes maybe more time. The Word of God is effective always, working always, 100% of the time it is effective, but in God's own time and not ours. So again, the psalmist points out that his suffering is at the hands of his enemies again. He says in verse 9, continuing, Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Again, he is complaining to God, I'm being attacked here. I'm being mocked. My adversaries are hunting me down. And this oppression, it's like a deep, deep and deadly wound. Think about this gruesome way of describing the taunts that come from people. But that is what it feels like, isn't it? As believers, as Christians, the very foundation of our identity, our belief, our hope, our existence is in the triune God who is good. And when he feels far away and people mock us for it, it's going to hit you. It should hit you. Let them take your stuff. Let them take your health. But when they mock the very trust we have in the great God, that should wound us to the core. 
and what we want, and we know we can't do, we can't retaliate. He's not retaliating in the situation. He is seeking vindication. And the only thing that's going to silence these mockers is what? God truly showing up. God acting in the situation to save him will put silence to all these mockers and enemies. And you and I can't conjure up proof of God. We can't summon God like he's a genie, right? These are the moments we have to wait. We have to hope in God alone. We can only cry out to him in complaint that there are those who in mocking us are actually mocking God. And so he ends this section of complaint to God with this refrain yet again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Well, we know it's because of enemies. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what do we do when we feel like we are abandoned? We feel like God is far from us. When we have enemies that are surrounding us. We feel wounded. The very foundation under us is being shifted. We remember God first. Second, we complain to God and lament. And third, finally, we will take refuge in God. Psalm 43, 1 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. The psalmist has moved from lament to complaint to now a petition. He's asking God, help me. Okay, before it seemed like this internal dialogue of like talking to my soul and noticing these people who are coming after me, these mockers and how wounded he is. And now he's crying out to God, a prayer. He wants God to be his defense counsel to rescue him from those who are evil, deceitful, and unjust, and notice his confidence in the Lord. Verse 2 says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. The Lord is his refuge, he declares. He is the safety to which he is running. There is nowhere else he can go. No other person he can run to. He's going to the God who made him, who has kept him, and will keep him. And yet, he still feels rejected. He continues to mourn because of the oppression of his enemies. He's not out of the woods yet when it comes to his depression. But he is hopeful. The psalmist feels abandoned still, but is trusting in God who promised he will never abandon him. And so he continues to pray to the Lord in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He knows that he cannot escape the darkness himself. But he can ask the Lord to send light to lead him through. This light is going to bring him through the darkness, back to the very presence of God, to God's holy hill, his dwelling place. Friends, you may be in a place of darkness depression right now and you got no way out you can't just medicate this away with food and other distractions you can't just 
put on a smile and pretend it doesn't hurt. God seems distant from you and you may feel abandoned and you may not know where to go in this darkness, but the Lord does. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly where you are. He knows how deep your depression goes and how dangerously close to despair it really is. So seek refuge in Him. Call to Him. He will send His light to you to lead you out of the darkness and bring you back to where He feels close to you. I say feel intentionally because we know that He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He is always close. We will return to his full presence. Verse 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Isn't that amazing? Our exceeding joy in him will be restored. It's almost like you're sitting in darkness and you're like, I can't even think about joy as an option. But do you know it's going to come? Can you see outside of that situation and say, I know that God is going to restore my joy? You should. He will. No longer will, will we be alone weeping through the night. Instead, joy again will come again with the multitude as we worship the Lord together. Notice from the beginning of this psalm, it almost seems like he's in solitary sadness as he's kept from the worship uh, with the, uh, the assembly, worshiping God in his temple. And now part of his restoration joy is to come back together with God's people, to come back with the multitude in God's temple to worship him. I think this is a picture of our weekly gathering together as saints on the Lord's Day. Part of your restoration and joy is that you can come together again with God's people and worship again. And don't be surprised that if week by week, man, the week was rough and you feel beat down and in darkness and yet you come to gather with the saints and find that he is restoring your joy together with God's people. I know I feel that. There are many days, many difficult days I have. And as a pastor, sometimes I can feel like, okay, I got I to gotta go Sunday. I got to put on the smiley face. I got to, you know, put it on, do the work. And yet I'm blown away by the encouragement I get from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And what God does is he orients this time together. As he's set apart this time for us to worship, to hear the word preached, as we will today celebrate the, the elements of God's table, as we remember together what God has done in creating for himself a people. That's one of the reasons why we have this. So one of the reasons why we can't do this apart, separated from screens spread around the globe. I just can't do it. God's given us the assembly together where we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs like Psalm 42 and 43 so that we would encourage one another as we weep. The psalm ends with his final repeat of the refrain, Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, the Bible is filled with accounts of God's people who have suffered harrowing situations, who have suffered great persecution and oppression. Many have felt like God has abandoned them. But none of God's people have ever been abandoned. There's really only one person who ever truly felt that abandonment by God, and that was Jesus himself. Matthew 26, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go and be crucified on the cross. And his very words in the garden are, My soul is downcast to the point of death. These are the very same words in Psalm 42 and 43 in the original language. Jesus prayed this psalm before he went to the cross because he would be tortured, crucified, killed. He's experiencing things we never have to experience. Jesus was the one who truly wept tears alone in the garden. His disciples unable to stay with him. It was Jesus who was surrounded by mockers and scorners who said, Where is your God? It was Jesus, the righteous one, who was attacked by the ungodly, the deceitful, the unjust. And it was on Jesus that the full final wave of God's wrath truly broke. You and I have never felt that. We've never felt God's wrath. Because of Christ, we are able to cry out to the Father as sons and daughters of the living God. And His death purchases for us a sure salvation. Because of Christ's death on the cross, we can pray to God to vindicate us from our enemies, and He will hear us. And because of Christ's death on the cross, you can be sure that no matter the trials, the depression, the lowness in your soul, our God has sent the light and will send the light. He will restore you to His holy hill, and you will come to the very dwelling place of God. If you're not a believer today, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And know that no matter how downcast, how, how low you feel, you're not too far from the Lord Jesus to rescue you. Turn to Jesus, confess your sins, repent, and you'll know of God's saving work for you. Any one of us elders, pastors, members would love to tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus, how you can know how to come out of that darkness. Brothers and sisters, are you cast down? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel like he has forgotten you? Remember Christ. Cry out to him your complaint, for he will surely hear you and know that he is your refuge. He will again put the praise of God in your mouth and in my mouth. For he is our salvation and our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a shameful thing to be weak. It's a shameful thing to cry uncontrollably. It's a, it's a terrifying thing to feel clothed in darkness, unable to reach you. But you are not far off from your people. 
And that in Jesus, he is with us through it all. And so I pray, Lord, that you would remind us again. Restore the joy of our salvation again. Give us strength to cry out to you once more. And help us to help one another in these seasons where depression may come. Help us to lament well. Give us the tools, the ability to truly sit, avoiding the world's distractions and lies. And may we say to our own souls, hope in God. For truly you are our salvation. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name.